Welcome to our live coverage from Los Angeles, California of Super Bowl 56 Media Week, a production of WSBU 88.3 The Buzz. And welcome back to Super Bowl Radio Row on WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, our final day of coverage. But maybe the best day of coverage has been an amazing uh, start to this Friday. And uh, we are having a blast out here in L.A. trying to end the week on a high note. Coming up for you is first the director's cut. And on this one we have uh, three great interviews. Juliana Pena starts out, the reigning, uh, the UFC uh, champion who just beat Amanda Nunez. Ryan Leaf talking about his new podcast, The Bust. And then finally, former Seahawks cornerback Des, uh, Marcus Trufant joined us for one of my favorite interviews of the week. So stick with us here. We have three hours of programming coming for you, and uh, we are happy you have two. You're listening to The Director's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon, live from the L.A. Convention Center in Los Angeles, California. Welcome to our final day of on-site coverage at WSBU 88.3 The Buzz. Live from the LA Convention Center for Super Bowl 56 Radio Row. Nate, we're here. Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon here for the Director's Cut. And uh, it it felt a little little upsetting to to say that uh, little intro for the final time this week. I know. It's a little little bittersweet, but we've had a great week so far. um, And and I'm excited for for you guys to, to hear what we have planned for today. I mean, today's... Today might be our best day yet. We have a couple of uh, pretty big names coming on with us uh, throughout our three hours, including this show. So uh, stay tuned for th- for the rest of the night. Uh, it's going to be super exciting. But yes, unfortunately, when, when we're back on the air on Monday, uh, it'll be from the friendly confines. Wait, well, actually, we won't be on the air Monday. But, um, oh, that's right, yeah. But uh, next, time we're on, on next time we're on the air, though, it'll be from the friendly confines of, uh, of the station. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you said it was bittersweet, and I, I kind of I kind of agree because, you know, you're, we're at that point in the week where it's been long day after long day. We get back to the Airbnb, and it's just... We're all we're all smoked, man. It's it's uh, we're all tired, and we've we've been working so hard. But like you said, we got a couple big names coming on today. Um, on this show specifically, we'll have former uh, number two overall pick right behind Pey- Peyton Manning and host of the Bust Podcast, uh, Ryan Leaf, and current UFC women's bantamweight champion Juliana Pena. That was a really fun interview, and a uh, longtime Seattle Seahawk and former pro bowler Marcus Trufant. So that's a that's a triple th- triple threat of big time names that we can't wait to share with you guys. But we got one more Super Bowl preview and I think this is going to culminate 
what we've been leading up to this week. We're kind of going to diagram the game from our perspectives and what we think is going to happen. So, obviously, we've talked about the quarterback matchup. We've talked about the battle in the trenches. That was yesterday. We've talked about the wide receiver matchups because they're such star-studded athletes on, on both sides of the ball here. And it, while I'm thinking that this could go a lot of different ways, I think this game is so unique in the fact that, you know, the Bengals weren't supposed to be here. The Rams have totally reconstructed. Well, I wouldn't say totally reconstructed their team, but they've bought all in. They've mortgaged their future to win now, and it's paid off. They're in the big game, and now it's time, finally, to see what happens. I mean, this is going to be a star-studded matchup, and, you know, I think... You don't get a game like this too often where you know, a guy like Joe Burrow is having this meteori meteorotic rise to stardom. And you know, just two years into his NFL career, I mean, I guess you could say my guy Russell Wilson, two years into his NFL career, he was winning a Super Bowl. Not sure if Joe Burrow is going to reach that pinnacle this year. Obviously, um, Russell Wilson won that, blew out the Denver Broncos, excuse me, in Super Bowl 50, uh, 48 uh, on the heels of the Legion of Boom and that crazy crazy stack defense but now we have this Bengals team there ba probably balanced on uh, both sides of the ball maybe you could say that their uh, offense is a little more high power than their D but their D has been overperforming uh, as of late I mean looking at the beginning of the season this was a roster that was looked at as a definitely fourth place in their division um, a bottom tier NFL team looking to be drafting in, in, in the top 10 potentially top 15 again they're going to have the 31st pick in the draft this year, and that's just insane to me to say. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the Bengals, they, you said it, you know, they came in with, with super low expectations. Every, you know, a lot of people thought they might only win two, three, four games at the most, and here they are in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, to your point, Joe Burrow, um, a lot of hype over him and, and this, I guess, reign that he's had into the Super Bowl. Um, obviously, I guess he was this year became one of the more well liked players in the league. But um, you know, I guess with his with his drip, as the kids say, uh, that <laughs> that was bad. Drip, <laughs> drip, Sally. He is ice cold. That's Joe Shiesty, Joe Burr. I know Joe Cool. He has been on fire, but he's been cold as ice the entire time. The guy is a stud. He looks like looks the part, plays the part, and acts the part. You know, he's really that. Just laid back and carries himself with a swagger and a leadership quality that you know you don't see too often from you know these up-and-coming NFL quarterbacks. And he's not afraid of the big moment either. I mean, just two years ago he was playing in the college football championship. He won that game. Uh, so uh, you know he it, the the big moments don't bother him. You know I, I'm I'm wondering if he will have kind of this, the same thing today, or excuse me, on Sunday where he kind of goes in, just does his thing, doesn't overthink it. Um, doesn't really get overly nervous and 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 just you know he just does what he does and, and I think that that mindset uh, could, will give the Cincinnati Bengals a great opportunity to win the game on Sunday even though Matthew Stafford um, a quarterback who in my opinion is is in the one of the elite tiers of the league uh, you know just the way that Joe Burrow's playing you know the fact that he's just a lot more mobile uh, that'll definitely play to his advantage on Sunday. Now you talk about the way that these two quarterbacks are going to fare. And we mentioned it earlier in the week, you know, that Matthew Stafford is probably the quarterback that we guessed would be closer to making the big mistake in a key moment. You know, as we as I've progressed through the week, I've heard a lot of different opinions from, from really intelligent people who have come on the show and, get, and given their insight on the game. And the more I, the more I you know, think about what's going to happen, and I know 
we had this press release released by the university where you know, we re did reveal our Super Bowl picks uh, in that uh, release. I picked the Bengals in it. The more I've heard this week and the more I've researched into this game, I just don't see a path where the Rams don't win this game. And if they are, I, th I honestly, I think it's going to be convincingly. And just the, the sheer mismatch between lines, and I know that the Cincinnati offensive line, and albeit they did give up nine sacks to Tennessee, they have been you know, holding their own to the point where Joe Burrow can make some plays and, and you know, get the ball out quickly. But the Rams are just a different animal, man. They, their pass rush, uh, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and, and Leonard Floyd, you're not finding uh, a pass rush in this league with that level of, of talent and star power pretty much anywhere. So I think as we, get, as we move forward in, in the show, we're going to diagram the game. I think the key for the Rams is to get to Joe Burrow early. And if you can get to him early and make him uncomfortable and kind of take the, the Bengals off schedule, I think the Rams are going to be in control for most of the game. The, the, running, the running game is going to be a little more consistent. They have more backs to throw at this uh, Bengal defense. And, you know, the, that, those guys aren't going to be, you know, heavy breathing like a guy like Joe Mixon is going to be. And, and the more that this Rams defense will hold the Cincy offense, it's just going to make it so much easier because for the for the Rams offense um, because the Cincy defense will be out there for such a large portion of the game. They're never going to really have a breather uh, as much as this Rams defense will. I think there's going to be a good amount of three and outs. I, I, I guarantee Joe Burrow throws an interception. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that the Rams, if the Rams control tempo, there's no way they'd let, they let this game slip away. The, the moment and the, the path to get here has all been about this game. The Bengals, I, di I hate to say it, they're just happy to be here. At the end of the day, they're just happy to be here. And I know, I know it's a big game. It's, one, it's just one football game. But they weren't supposed to be here. You know, the, if Buffalo wins the coin toss, they'd march down the field and win the game. The Bengals get blown out in Buffalo. I promise you that. And, you know, they're here. The Rams are a team that's very similar to the Bills, albeit uh, minus the pass rush. But, you know, now... Since he's defense and, and, and is, is going to be out there for far too long to be, you know, withstanding these, these long Rams drives because Sean McVay is not afraid to, to call it conservative when he needs to. He'll really run the football as much as he can before the, the pass game opens up. And I think that that, that means that the, the Cincinnati defense is going to be out there for so long that uh, there's going to be holes. Obviously, the cornerback play is not as strong in Cincinnati as it is in L.A. The Rams wide receivers are going to exploit that. And it's going to be—I think it's going to be smooth sailing for Los Angeles in their home stadium on Sunday. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't really see a path where the Rams win this game either. I mean, just kind of just what you said—the Bengals are kind of happy to be here. They—they um, they definitely had a little bit of luck on their side uh, to where, you know, the, the like you said, the Bills and, and Chiefs thing, where you know, 13 seconds. Um, and, and then just the way that they've been able to win games. I mean, they, they've won like all their games with with with, with a last second field goal. 
so are, uh, are you really going to rely on Evan McPherson to get you 12 points in this game? If, if Evan McPherson does get you 12 points in this game, you're not winning. No, you're not winning. I mean, the Rams, they, they have such a high-powered offense and such a good defense. They're, like, they're the most, maybe the most well-rounded team in the league. Absolutely. And they deserve to be here in the Super Bowl. And, I mean, that's not to say that the Bengals don't deserve because they, they won the games. They, yes. they won the games to make it into the Super totally Bowl. Totally agree. But, um, the Rams' defensive line is going to overpower the Bengals' offensive line. I mean, that's their biggest weakness. And we haven't seen um, a team with this many weaknesses make the Super Bowl in a very long time. Now, I mean, outside of Eli Apple, their defensive backs aren't great. Uh, I mean, like, their safety groups are great, but their cornerbacks. I, I, I I'm not. I'm just. I'm not overly high on their defensive backs. You know, the cornerbacks and safety. I mean, I, I mean Jesse Bates, really good player. Von yeah, Bell. Von Bell's been having a f fantastic playoffs. But like, at the end of the day, that's not going to matter because. You know, maybe the Rams do find one deep shot during I'm the game. I don't know. I'm, I'm still not still not overly high uh, on, on, the, on, on the Bengals' defense. I, I, I think that they still have a lot of flaws. Their offensive line has a lot of flaws. I mean, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Joe Mixon. Those five guys wield the Bengals into the Super Bowl. And in my opinion, they don't have they don't have much outside of that. Outside of those five guys, they're like a three-win team in the league. Well, especially if C.J. Uzama is not good to go by the end of the yes, game. Yes, that, that is another thing. He is he's on the injury uh, injury report, injury list, whatever uh, whatever you'd like to call it. So, um, I, I don't know. I don't I don't see a path that the Bengals win this game. Uh, I, I think the Rams are probably going to control this from the beginning. I hope it's a highly entertaining game. But, yeah, I mean, I see the Rams uh, easily winning this game by, you know, 20 to 30 points. Oh, 20 I mean, to 30. That's, that's I mean, a lot. I think, it's, I think it could be a one-sided game. We see a lot of one-sided Super Bowls. We have. I mean, my own we, Seattle Seahawks. Like, 40-point win it's almost. It's been a long – it's been a f at least a handful of years since we've seen, like, a good Super Bowl. Yeah, like I, I mean, mean, last year was tough. I mean, I guess you could say Niners Chiefs was pretty good. It was all right. I, I mean, mean e Eagles Pats. I mean, Rams Pats. Those were two snooze fest. Well, actually, I mean, Eagles Pats was good. Twenty-eight to three was obviously a, a very entertaining one. Even but that was a blowout before that all happened. It was a blowout, but it, it, it became close and it became mm -hmm. one of the more iconic Super Bowls. Um, obviously, the. W um, go, going forward on the, on the one with your uh, Seattle Seahawks. Listen, that's I, probably the greatest game of all time. I, I'm right? sure all, you were in shambles for that, but like my, my point is that we, most Super Bowls are, are not are not competitive games. Last year was not a competitive game, so I, I just hope it's a competitive game. But I'm afraid it's not going to be. I'm, you know, the Rams. I think they're going to jump right out ahead. Um, I think Stafford's going to be ready for the moment. This is the moment he's waited for his really his entire life, or at least his entire NFL career. And, and you know, not not to say that um, that. Um, that, um, that, um, that that Joe Burrow hasn't, but uh, you know I, I think Stafford's gonna be be ready to come out and, and, and pounce right on the Bengals' mistakes. Yeah, I mean, like like you've mentioned, I don't see a path where the, where the Bengals can pull it out. Um, the Rams are gonna put up points. That's guaranteed. They're gonna find the end zone. Uh, there's no way they don't after the performance that they put up last time that they were in the big game. Um, you look at. This Rams' defense ability to make opponents uncomfortable. I don't see a path where Cincinnati scores tw uh, over 21 points, where the Rams, I think, could put up as much as 40 uh, on, on this team. So, I, I, th I, I while I don't agree necessarily agree that this is a 20 to 30 point victory, I think that it could be in the 14 to 17 point range where the Rams control it for most of the way, and then you know they kind of keep the ball away from Joe Burrow, start. Converting on long drives, really run the football. You know, get Cooper Cup some intermediate routes where he can find a hole in the defense and just get down in bounds, keep that clock moving, and control this game from end to end.
Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I don't. I mean, the the Rams are better in all in all in all facets of the game. Like, um, Cam Akers has been pretty good this 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 playoff run for the Rams. I mean, he's done really all they've needed. He was not healthy for um, the entire regular season, and of course, on the, um, in terms of the re of receivers, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Cooper Cup. I mean, that might be the best one-two punch in the league right now. Yeah, you know, they're they're both num uh, wide receiver one caliber players. They can they 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 alleviate pressure and and coverage off of each other, um, where, you know, if if one guy has has two defenders on him, the other guy's probably only going to have one, and he's going to be open. I mean, Cooper Cup is one of the most elusive wide receivers in the league. He, he's a great route runner. He's, he, he has the most yards after catch in the league. Probably the best hand in the league right now. Too. And then there's OBJ, and, and OBJ, uh, obviously a great pass catcher, um, a pretty good route runner. So, uh, you know, between those two guys and, and them running the ball when they need it, like, they don't need to run the ball to win the games. The Rams, the Rams, and well, I think they will because. But I think they will. I, that's what I'm saying. I, okay. They don't need to. They don't need to run it because they. When you look at that, the receiving core, yeah, they don't have it. to, but they're going to. So they only gonna. They're only gonna need to do it when they have to. So whether it's a first and ten, get three, four yards, all of a sudden they have a, a reasonable second and seven or second and six where, you know. It, and you have two plays basically to find Cooper Cup or OBJ for six yards. Like I think that that's very doable. Agreed. So it, I mean, if Cam Akers can kind of just keep getting you know three to four yard runs, that's all they really need um, to get into position to win this game to set up uh, you know shorter um, shorter conversions. So in my opinion, I think look for the Rams to run it a lot on first down or like or third and short. You know, I, I think that those are the times where you can see the ball go to Cam Akers. For, I mean, for the Bengals, they have more of a uh, a true running back. I, I'm not. I'm a, yeah, I guess like a true running back where he's used. He, and he, he where one guy is basically used for like all three downs. You know, and, and Joe Mixon's kind of kind of that guy. He can go downfield. He can catch passes, um, and, and he can break off for some bigger runs too. So uh, I I think you can see the Bengals kind of use him in some more. I I guess tougher yardage situations like. You know, if so like like if you're on the fence between passing it and running it, like they might choose to run it. Where I think if you look at the Rams, if they're between passing and running it, they're probably gonna pass it. You know. Yeah, I I, I totally agree, and I think you know we we've kind of detailed every aspect of this game and and how it's gonna go, and I think, <laughs> excuse me, my final note here is that the way this game is gonna open is that the Bengals get the ball first. Aaron Donald, Von Miller getting pressure on the third down. They get a massive sack. It's gonna be. Third and or third, well, probably will be a third and long. Eventually, ending up at a fourth and longer. Bengals punted away. Rams, whatever. Maybe get a first down or two. Find Van Jefferson deep. Maybe for a touchdown. Maybe gets tackled inside the five. Run the ball inside. Rams set the tempo. I think they, they control it for the rest of the way. I don't see a path where Cincinnati can come out here and assert their dominance because they really aren't a dominant team. They pull out, eke it out victories. Now, Kansas City did come out there and start dominating them in the first half, but it was a total mismatch in the second half. The play right before halftime, the screen to Tyree Kill, totally flipped the momentum. I don't think the Rams are going to make that same mistake. I think they're they have confident enough ability in their in their running game to where that they'll just punch it in if they get it down inside the five. Therefore, I think the Rams control this game end to end. Sadly, don't expect a wire-to-wire -wire barn burning Super Bowl 56. Not in the cards this year. Are we doing a score prediction now, or should yeah, we do it I think, at the, end I think, of the show? I think we should do a score prediction right now. Um, got a ton of interviews lined up, so not sure how much time we'll have at the end to really fit it all in. So hey, 
Nate, give me your final score prediction. We are going to go Rams 35, mm -hmm. Bengals... Bengals 14. Okay. 35-14. Okay. I was thinking something similar. I think I'm going to go with 28-13 to 13 Rams. Uh, I don't know if they I, – I think they'll they'll end up not running up the score as much. You know, they'll be controlling the game with their run game. So look for, look out for that. You know, quickly before we head to a break, Super Bowl MVP. Ooh. Um, you know, I, I'm going to go with, with a classic quarterback. I'll go back yeah. to Stafford. I, yeah, I, I, I think, think I think he's due for, for a massive game, and he's going to show – Show the world that he belongs in, in, in the category of an elite-level quarterback. Agreed. Uh, I think Matt Stafford's an easy pick, but I, I would go with him as well. If I'm going to go elsewhere, I think Cooper Cup has a good chance to take it. I think if he gets one, two touchdowns, close to the century mark in yards, he takes it away. And you see the first wide receiver in a, in a few years since Julian Edelman uh, won it a few years ago. So there are our predictions. We think it's going to be wire-to-wire -wire victory for the Rams. Look out for it on Sunday. It's going to be a, a great game no matter what. Obviously, the Super Bowl is a massive event, and we can't wait to watch it. And, hey, we're not, we're not future tellers. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. This is us. So that's it. We're going to head to a quick break. When we come back, former number two overall pick and host of the Bus Podcast, Ryan Leaf, plus some great interviews later in the show. Stick with us on WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, live from the L.A. Convention Center for Super Bowl 56 Radio Row. You're listening to the Rector's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon. And welcome back to the Director's Cut on 88.3 The Buzz. Tyler Smith and Nate Salmon joined by a very special guest, former NFL quarterback and host of the Busted Podcast, Ryan Leaf. Ryan, take, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Bust. Bust Just Podcast. Bust. Just Bust. Yeah. The singular. And the one that, and only. The one and only. That leads me into, you know, we all know you had a sh fairly short NFL career, um, but did I? Ah, you know, four tw years, twenty-six. It's a great time to retire. Do you, know, do, you know, do you know? Do you know how long the average length of an NFL career is? Uh, around there. It's actually eight years. Yeah, I was gonna say it's around three, right? So I almost doubled it. Sweet, you're 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 Let's a natural. Go. Let's go. Let's uh, go. but yeah, you were a top pick, number two overall, right behind. You know, everybody knows Peyton Manning. But hey, draft process must have been insane when that was all going on. You, it was an actual discussion of whether you or Peyton Manning would be the top pick in the draft. So kind of talk about that draft process and what you went with through with uh, Peyton. Um. I mean, it was great. I mean, it was everything we expected it to be. We were going to be the first or second overall pick, uh, depending on what the Indianapolis Colts did. Um, you know, I had a I had a great workout uh, in Pullman in early April, and and uh, you know, up until I think the night before, Indianapolis was really really struggling on whether or not they were going to take me or or, or Peyton. And my agent, you know, pretty much flat out told them that you know I, I didn't want to go to Indy. <laughs> and that kind of that kind of helped it out, and I think that they were leaning towards Peyton too. But we just wanted to emphasize that I, you know, I had family on the West Coast, uh, played in the Pac-12, that San Diego with the beaches, the babes, the money. That's that was where my that's where I wanted to be. Um, I wasn't thinking about the right things. I wasn't thinking about having Marshall Falk in the back backfield or Marvin Harrison out on the perimeter. Uh, I was. I was thinking about the wrong things at the time, that's for sure. And you, you mentioned the Pac-12. You know, you played for Washington State. You're a Heisman runner-up. You know, how, how did you enjoy your time there in, in Pullman? I was the, it was great. It was the best decision I ever made. Uh, wonderful uh, small-town atmosphere, great support for the football program. Uh, had a great head coach, did something that hadn't been done in 67 years at the time, and that was to, to win a Pac-10 championship and go to the Rose Bowl and then, that Heisman class is pretty special, right? Uh, Peyton Manning, 
Charles Woodson, Randy Moss, and myself. So those are three pro football Hall of Famers. Yeah. Uh, that might be the best class that, that existed. And and I'm the one who should have won it. So, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's crazy in the whole deal, um, how it all worked out. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about your mind wasn't really worried about the right things at that point in your life. Kind of talk about what your mindset was as a young kid and, and really uh, a football player who really didn't have his priorities straight at that point. Well, I had my priorities straight. I wanted to be a, a, a professional of football course, player. Of course, of course. And uh, that's what I wanted, and that's everything I did was to uh, try to achieve that. Yeah. And that was if I burnt bridges along the way, I didn't care. Mm -hmm. uh, I figured I was as talented as anybody and that I would overcome anything. Anytime that I got backed into a corner growing up, uh, I fought my way out and I won. I competed. and uh, But there's a different animal when you get to the NFL. It's the best of the best. Um you know, it's the 1% of the 1%, as they say. And uh, your central nervous system is, is on tilt all the time if you are battling the media all week long and the best defenses in the world on the weekend. So um, I think the biggest thing when I got to the NFL was, was simply not being able to deal with failure. Mm -hmm. Everybody fails at that level. I yep. mean, everybody does every week. We saw Trevor Lawrence, who had never lost a regular season game in his life, uh, lose more this year. Uh, than he'd ever had before. So uh, you're going to fail, and it's a matter of how you deal with it, uh, whether you deal with it in a positive, healthy way or a negative and toxic one. And I, I blamed a lot of others. I didn't take a really good, hard look in the mirror at myself, and I thought that uh, that my talent was enough to overcome. And, and now you've got this podcast where you kind of discuss um, you know, some of the stories of, of your younger life. I mean, just talk about uh, this podcast and kind of you know, where you got this idea from and how it all kind of came to, to fruition. Well, I, you know, every April the draft happens and my name gets brought up as possibly the biggest bust of all time. Um, and I'm a good businessman, so I named it Bust. And I knew it would be marketed well and I knew it would sell. <laughs> and that's exactly what's happened. Um, it's my story, uh, soup to nuts from when I was born until where I'm at right now. And uh, uh, you can listen to it today, you can listen to it tomorrow, you can listen to it 10 years, 20 years from now. It's not, it's not topic driven, right? It's me in front of a microphone. Um, my producer, Kevin Connolly and I just, just felt like this was something that needed to be done to help people who are going through a tough time, who are struggling. And there has to have been uh, a purpose for all this. There had to have been a purpose for having dealt with the things that I dealt with and, and, and found a way to come out the other end. So it's it was a passion project for sure. Um, I recommend anybody who is dealing with mental health issues, substance abuse issues, or, or just a, a sports fan in general uh, to take a listen. It's 10 episodes yeah. uh, from start to finish. Does it bother you that, 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 that the NFL media refers to you maybe as one of the biggest busts of all time? Does that, does that bother you at all? Well, I named it my podcast, so <laughs> clearly not. Um, and there's no such thing as a bust. There's been 27,000 players ever to play in the NFL. That's it in the hundred years of the NFL. So you could throw a uh, you could throw a rock and have a better chance of hitting somebody uh, with one person around than than it would be for for you to get into the NFL. There's no way I was supposed to get there. And uh, um, and I also, if you're gonna label me that, I had to have been pretty damn good. Exactly, uh, and that's 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 something in there that that I take with it, and it's also a way to take the power back from. And it's really never really the media that does it so much. It's uh, kind of people from the abstract and and, and fans and, and trolls and stuff like that. Like any peer of mine, if I walked into a room, uh, like when I walked in the room with Justin Herbert and Joe Montana today, 
neither one of them look at me and uh, and, and think of the word bust at all because they understand how difficult it was to get where they got. And I think we respect all of one another because I couldn't do what they did. Yep. You know, I, I couldn't do it. So I respect them more, uh, and that's why we all have a good relationship. The NFL brotherhood is, is something that I don't think I can uh, – properly defined to anybody else unless they've actually uh, got to live it and, and be a part of it. Now you mentioned that it was really it's really the keyboard warriors that kind of label you the bus. It's not really the respected individuals that you really shared the football field with. But I don't know. I think my brother calls me that, so oh. who knows? <laughs> who knows? But He's yeah. a Raiders fan. Oh, duh, there you go. But you know, you also mentioned Kevin Connolly, your producer, and uh, I'm a, honestly, I'm, I'm late to the party, but uh, I've just recently been watching Entourage, and I think it's, it's, it's one of the most hysterical and, and, and great shows that I, I've seen in my time. So can you kind of talk about your uh, relationship with the guy I know as E. Murphy? Yeah, you know, Kev's, uh, Kev's been in the entertainment business since he could, I think since he was in diapers, yeah. right? I mean, he, he understands what the world's like. And, you know, he ran with Leo and, and Toby Maguire, and, and they've all kind of alternated on who's been high at what point and everything like that. They've, uh, and so he's got a lot of lot – of, uh, um, and, you know, he's just got a ton of education in terms of how to go about his business. And, and he started a, a podcast company, and, and we're pretty good friends. And we kind of just started throwing around some ideas about what would, uh, what would work and how could we help people uh, and, and build some good content. And, you know, he was, he's the only guy that was in the room with me. And I'd have to trust him, com, you know, complicitly to, 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 to do a, a project like this. And, and I did. And, uh, you know, we went about it. Uh, you know, just over a year ago where we got into a room and, and we recorded probably, you know, upwards of 25 hours worth of stuff that got whittled down to the to the 10 episodes. And uh, he's been he's been incredibly supportive. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I always ask him some stories from that, that TV show because uh, it came out after my time in San Diego and I had yeah. three of my buddies with me, living with me from home uh, in the same event. One was a manager, one guy cooked for me, and one guy – you know, was 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 kind of he kind of just drove us everywhere. So we had we had an entourage before there was actually an entourage. So, so you had your own turtle, Johnny Drama, and E all in one. So it's kind of almost like your story. That's that's really funny. Yeah, it's funny that we, we talk about that all the time. <laughs> now, um, you know, you mentioned the Chargers, and you're you're with the Chargers for for three years. Uh, back when they were in San Diego. So I guess kind of a little bit of a two-parter. First, what did you think about that move to uh to La to, to to Los Angeles, and also what's your relationship with Justin Herbert? Well, the move, of course, is is, is you know damaged uh, the true um, you know deep fans of the San Diego Chargers. Agreed. Unfortunately, San Diego is a destination city, right? So, uh, you know, when when the team was bad, and not even when the team was bad, people would talk about how they would play sixteen um, road games because we'd walk into Qualcomm Stadium and. If we were playing the Packers, there'd be more cheeseheads in the, the in the stands than, than Chargers fans. Just how it was. So there wasn't an interest. I mean, uh, they even put something on the uh, uh, on the ballot to to raise a, a hotel tax that would have paid for a new stadium in San Diego, and and the city wouldn't vote on it. They wouldn't they wouldn't uh, vote it through. So, you know, Mr. Spanos just thought this was the best move for his family, for the organization, and so. Uh, with Stan Kroenke bringing a team back to, to Los Angeles and the new stadium being built, he thought he could uh, make it work. And I, I feel like he has. Um, you know, they've they've put together a very good football team. Um, the coach I like, though I'm 
you know, he needs to make better decisions. Uh, it's a learning curve for sure. And then, and Justin, as I said, I covered Justin in, in the Pac-12 as I worked with the Pac-12 Network for the last six years, and and I watched him grow and mature. And I knew that he was going to be a great pro quarterback. Uh, I was really pleased when Los Angeles got the opportunity to draft him because Miami passed on him, and and he's been he's been he's been even been better than I expected him to be. He's he's arguably uh, the best young quarterback in the NFL. Now, you talk about Brandon Staley and his decision making and what happened uh, this past season. Obviously, theirs came to an end in that game with the Raiders. Uh, first of all, it must have been funny with between you and your brother, Chargers Raiders or, ordeal. But um, kind of talk about. What happened there? It, it, when you're in the heat of a moment in a game like that, how tough is it to make a, a, a season-defining decision? Oh well, you—that was that was a stupid decision. They could have just tied the game, man. It's a, it, it wasn't a very good decision. Um, the 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 Chiefs game for me is the one that sticks out more. He had an opportunity to to kick two field goals that would have put that game out of reach. They yep. wouldn't even had a chance to be in it. That would have got them playoff eligible. They wouldn't even needed the Raiders game at the end of the season. But instead, you know, he made those decisions. He made the decision to go for it, fourth and whatever, backed up like crazy, uh, essentially gave away three points. Uh, I was in London at the time, uh, like at 4.30 in the morning, watching that game, watching Justin Herbert carve him up on that fourth quarter, uh, come back to take him to overtime, you know, convert on third and fourth down multiple times. That, that for me, solidified how darn good he was. So those are the decisions, right? Those things, I know we... You know, the team has backed him up. You know, they like his aggressiveness and everything like that. But ultimately, it's about winning games. Mm -hmm. And if you keep missing on things like that, uh, you're not going to win as many games and you're not going to be in that job anymore. Now, Ryan, before we let you go here, uh, of course, we're here for the, for the big game, the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, who are you taking on Sunday? You know, I haven't decided yet. I'm going to go check them out and practice tomorrow. I want to see if C.J. Uzama is going to go for Cincinnati. That's a big part of it. X Factor. Simply because where Los Angeles is the weakest is is behind those linebackers in front of those safeties kind of down the middle in between the hashes, and that's where C.J. works, right? That's where he makes his makes his money. So if he can't go, that's going to be a, that's going to be a big kick in the rear for the Cincinnati Bengals and their fans. Um, you know, for his – I. I Conventionally, I cannot understand why Cincinnati would even have a chance in this game with the defensive front that, that the L.A. Rams have. But for whatever reason, on a Thursday before the Super Bowl, I still feel like the Bengals are going to win this football game. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how I change my mind. Uh, I, I talked my way out of it a, a year ago. I picked the Chiefs, even though I knew that they couldn't protect him. I just thought, uh, I just thought Mahomes' magic was going to be good enough. So... Um, I don't want to make the same mistake again and think Burrow uh, and, and his his chilly demeanor is going to get it done uh, in a game where they're just going to they're going to be outclassed up front. So uh, we'll see we'll see how I go on on Sunday. Well, Ryan, you know it's going to be the reaction we've gotten from a lot of people is either you know Rams blowout or Bengals find a way to pull it out if it's close. But you know that's that's kind of been what we've been hearing so far. My gambling buddy, who's like well versed and and been in the gambling world for ages, he says Rams by 17. So. Oh, who, who's that? Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, oh well, we, we heard the sim something similar from Mr. Brandon Lang earlier today, so I uh, just wanted to see if that was the same guy. But, um, no, Ryan, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. We appreciate you taking the time, and uh, have fun at, at, at practice tomorrow, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you soon. You bet. Thanks for having me, guys. Enjoy Super Bowl week. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. 
Now, that was a great interview with former NFL quarterback Ryan Leaf. We, Tyler and I really enjoyed talking to him uh, and, and him providing his insight about uh, about playing in the NFL and, and his, his experience and, and, of course, his new podcast. So now we're going to transition over to uh, another great interview uh, with Juliana Pena of the UFC. Uh, she, she came off a big victory over Amanda Nunez just a few months ago. So here it is, that interview, Tyler Smith, Juliana Pena, Nick Roloff. And we are back on the Director's Cut live from Super Bowl Radio Row in Los Angeles, California. Joining us now, a very special guest, UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion, Juliana Pena. Juliana, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you guys for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. So, you know, you had a pretty unorthodox journey into mixed martial arts. You know, you didn't start from, you know, when you were a kid. You kind of got into it in your college years, and things took off really fast. Can you kind of talk about what brought you into MMA and you know kind of your rise through the ranks so quickly yeah so I can tell you that I needed to lose weight I needed to, <laughs> to do something I was a little chubby bunny and I had to drop a few pounds and so I joined a women's cardio kickboxing class yeah I threw my first punch and my coach asked me hey where did you uh, box I said I didn't he said well where did you learn how to punch I said you just showed me <laughs> like, you're a natural and so that's kind of how I got my start Wow, and you know you ended up you know moving up and doing some semi-pro stuff, and then you ended up on the Ultimate Fighter comes around, and it's Ronda Rousey's team versus Misha Tate, two absolute legends. You know, kind of how kind of describe how it was to basically be mentored during that time by a legend like Misha and even Ronda as well. Yeah, so for me, I was just waiting in the in the wings for Dana to open up the doors to women to fight into the UFC, and yep. in 2013 he opened up that door, and that's when they had the first season of the Ultimate Fighter for women. It was season 18, and uh, I was on Misha Tate's team. We're both from Washington State, and I was able to uh, win and be the first uh, female to win the Ultimate Fighter. So for me, it was a great opportunity. You're never going to get a chance to um, train two times a day with some of the best teams in the world. You uh, get an opportunity to eat the best foods and whatever you want to write down for your food list. The next morning, it's waiting for you on the table. You uh, get no distractions, no family, no boyfriends, no girlfriends, no um, bills, no outside distractions like music or, or books or TV or uh, music, radio, nothing. You don't get anything. It's a, your time to focus on just yourself as a fighter. And I viewed it as a gift and I, I, I ran away with it. I, I, I made the most of my experience on The Ultimate Fighter and it was honestly a, a great experience for me. Yeah, and then you've rise or rose to through the UFC. Obviously, you got the belt on you beating Amanda Nunez in your last fight. First of all, I gotta ask a question about the belt, and then we'll get into the fight. Is it too heavy? Is it heavy? It's a little heavy. Somebody said it's cold in here. I said I'm I'm not cold. In the <laughs> it's probably because I'm freaking lugging this thing around all day. Um, yeah, it's a it's heavy. It's about eight or nine pounds. Now, now going into that fight, obviously you were the underdog and uh, pretty big underdog, because how well Nunez has been perceived. But what was your thought process heading into that fight? You know, my thought process is, listen, girl, you have been in there with the best of the best. You've been in there with the Valentina Shevchenkos and the Jermaine Durandimans, who are literally the best strikers in the division, and you were able to back them up and hold your own. And so when you fight world champion after world champion after world champion, that gives you the confidence to know that anybody that stands across the octagon from you that uh, that weighs in and, and is, is a female, I stand a chance against all of them. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to say that, I'm not content with the belt. I'm not content to just be the champion. I'm ready to go forward and, and get another ruby on this guy and, and to uh, hush the naysayers up and say, okay, you guys thought it was a fluke. Well, let me show you one more time that it absolutely was not. Yeah, and what was your thought process going into the fight and your strategy more? Because you really dominated that fight for the pretty much the majority of the time. 
my thought process is, is there's a dog that lives inside of me. There's a dog mentality. It's a relentless dog that's not going to go away. It's a never giving up type of mentality where it's I'm not going to be detoured and I'm not going to give up. And so if you have that type of mentality, if you have the, the drive and the determination to get things done, that you're going to you're gonna do it. Nobody in this life is going to hand you anything and you absolutely have to go out there and get it. You want to be the champ, you got to beat the champ and you have to do it in decisive fashion. And so I had to go out there and I had to get it. And so my mentality is just fight fire with fire this girl's a big swinger she's a big puncher and she's got knockout power and I only way to match that knockout power is to fight that knockout power with my own skill and with my own fire and that's what I did and that's what got me to uh, get this belt and be successful yeah you know what the really rigorous uh, preparation that goes into a fight uh, it's months in advance can you kind of talk about what struggles you've had uh, in, in your UFC career as far as prepping for your next fight, whether you've had to cut weight or, or really you know, hone in on your next opponent? Well, I can tell you that I trained for this fight for nine months. It was the longest fight camp of all time. In fact, it started even before that. I fought Jermaine in October. Mm -hmm. I went you know, right into my next camp with Sarah McMahon. And then right after I beat Sarah McMahon in January 2021, I went right into that camp with Amanda Nunes. So it was well over a year of uh, being in camp and grinding. It was the longest camp of my life. And um, I can say that that activity and staying active and staying in my fight camp and staying in that mode is what's led to the success of, of me winning that belt. And uh, it's the thing that you have to remain focused on leading up into the rematch. You have to keep that focus. You have to remember that fight and uh, you have to keep grinding every single day for um, for that. It, the second that you lose focus on that is the second that you're giving it all up and, and I can't let that happen and that's my mission is to just keep working. Yeah, no, I wanted to ask you about your nickname, the Venezuelan Vixen. How did you get that nickname? The Venezuelan Vixen, yes. So my dad is Venezuelan. Um, my mom is Mexican and Native American, but my dad is, is from Venezuela. And, uh, you know, you don't get your fight names. Uh, they're given to you. And so my uh, fight head coach, Rick Little, he gave me that nickname, the Venezuelan Vixen. And I said, well, nobody can even spell Venezuela. And he was like, doesn't matter. People are going to remember it. And so um, they gave me the Venezuelan Vixen, and it's kind of stuck ever since. And, of course, I'm very proud of of my Latino heritage and and uh, my Venezuelan roots. Obviously, you're here with the UFC, and we have a massive fight card coming up this weekend, UFC 271. Two massive ma co-made events, Izzy Adesanya and Robert Whitaker, then a heavyweight bout with Derek Lewis and Taito Vyasa. Who do you have in those fights? You know, uh, I, it's really hard for me to pick. I've been doing this for a long time, and I've, I've established relationships with these guys. And uh, so it's can't like, burn any bridges, right? Yeah, can't burn any bridges. I'll just say that... Um, the fans win. I'm excited, and these are two really great matchups. Agreed, agreed. And, and before we let you go, we know you're super busy. Uh, you know, when you're, you're receiving that belt or when you win a fight, you know, you're talking to classic Joe Rogan. How, what, what are those experiences like? You know, I went back to some of my older fights, and I remember being uh, talking with Joe for the first time. I gave him a kiss right on the cheek, <laughs> you know, because you see him. You know, he's been doing this literally since the infancy stages of the UFC. So when you're standing across the octagon from him, and he literally has a microphone in your face, and you're like, he's real. He's in the flesh. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm talking to Joe Rogan right now. <laughs> so that that's actually a really great and, and cool experience, and it's, it's surreal. It really is. And here, obviously, we're here on Radio Row for Super Bowl 56. Do you have a pick for the game? 
you know, I just found out that the Bengals were the underdogs, so I'm not trying to go against the underdogs, but at the same time, I have a relationship with uh, Sean McVay. I was on a Zoom call with oh, him wow. as he was pumping me up before the fight, a couple months before the fight, and uh, he's a good personal friend of Chad Bronstein, my agent, and so I, I got to go with the L.A. Rams. I think it's awesome that Cooper Cup is from Eastern Washington University. Yeah. That's where I'm from, and uh, he's one of the best receivers of all time. You know, he put Tom Brady on the couch, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to, to see what he can do and, and to represent the the Pacific Northwest and and obviously the LA Rams being uh, the youngest head coach Sean McVay I think is also very neat well Juliana thank you so much for coming on the show we really enjoyed having you and uh, before we go is there anybody looking to fight in your next bout yeah so um, we're filming the ultimate fighter right now I am on day two of filming I, I go back to, to film tomorrow morning awesome are you a coach I'm a coach I'm oh, coaching alongside Amanda Nunez it's season, oh, wow. yeah it's season 30 and uh, we are going to be rematching at the end of the season that awesome. is so awesome we can't wait to see that we can't wait for the new season the ultimate fighter well Juliana thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, we'll hear from you soon thank you guys I appreciate yep. the time thank awesome. you awesome on behalf of WSBU 88.3 The Buzz we are proud to announce that we will be attending Super Bowl 56 Media Week in Los Angeles, California. Join us for live programming from the LA Convention Center from February 7th to 11th at 6 p.m. daily as we preview the big game. Now, that was Juliana Pena, the UFC women's bantamweight champion. Uh, it was awesome sitting down with her for an interview. But now we are going to transition to her final interview of this last director's cut live from Super Bowl Radio Row in Los Angeles, California. Uh, we sat down with Marcus Trufant, uh, former NFL cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks. We had a great conversation with him. So here it is, Marcus Trufant here on WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz. Welcome back to the Director's Cut live from the L.A. Convention Center for Super Bowl 56 Radio Row. Joining us now is a very special guest, longtime Seattle Seahawks cornerback and president of the Trufant Family Foundation, Marcus Trufant. Marcus, thanks for taking the time to join us. No problem. What's going on, man? Uh, we're, having, we're having a great time. And Marcus, we know you're from Tacoma, Washington. You played at Wazoo. You spent the vast majority of your career with the Seattle Seahawks. Describe what it was like to be a bit of a hometown hero at uh, the highest level. It was a good look, man. I definitely, um, it doesn't happen very often, so um, I really enjoyed it. Got to play in front of friends and family and uh, my teachers in elementary school <laughs> and all that kind of good stuff. So the energy was really good, man. Got a lot of love and support it just from being a hometown kid, so it was great. So I want to start out about, you know, you, of course, had a pretty long career in football, and then you've also made the transition to life outside of football. The first thing... I want to ask about is like when you hung up the cleats how hard was that for you or were you kind of ready for that I was somewhat ready but it's hard at the same time you never want to well at least for me and for athletes like to pay attention to the writing on the wall um, my last year I was trying to make the team with the Jacksonville Jaguars I um, was getting ready for practice and it was like game day right I had to go through all these stretches and do all this stuff because I'm an older guy and trying to keep up with the young guys and I kind of knew I was like man I'm not feeling the same I could see all the plays and I know I could get close but that 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 burst and that speed is 
not quite the same. So um, I would say it was tough. And then you look at your transition and you think to yourself, what am I going to do and who am I going to be? I've been a football player for so long, so it could be tough. And you signed a one-day contract to retire with Seattle. Can you just talk about, like, was that a big deal for you to do that and, and what that process was like? Absolutely, absolutely. To come back and to retire um, with the home team, um, a team that I grew up watching, uh, not that I was the biggest Seahawks fan as a young guy because they weren't very good back in the day, <laughs> but, hey, man, um, to do it back at home um, and be able to have, you know, my family, my mom and dad, my wife and my kids, Everybody there, like my high school basketball coaches and everybody, came out to my retirement, wow. man. And um, just the 12, if anybody knows about the Seahawks fans, they're very loyal. They're, they're nuts. They go crazy at the games. And they're some of the best fans in the world. So to be able to come back to retire as a Hawk was a very big deal to me. Now, speaking of that transition, you've started with a lot of off-the-field stuff, and one of it being the Trufant Family Foundation. Can you just talk about what you are doing with them? Yes, the Trufant Family Foundation um, is really a family foundation. Work very close, very close with my mom and my wife and my uh, aunts and uncles, my cousins. Everybody is really involved in this, right? And we've um, supported Every cause under the sun, you talk about breast cancer, you talk about sickle cell, you talk about everything, right? And even education is where, that's where our main focus is. So we give scholarships, um, college scholarships, wraparound services that come with that. Kids, of course, they can have scholarships that pays for your books, but you need food and you need to be able to get around. You need all this other stuff that comes with it. So that's been great. And it's really about giving young people opportunity and exposure um i was a part of a youth football team and you get to talk to some of these kids and you just can expose them by conversation right and talking about different things that they might not be exposed to and you never know how that's gonna put a kid on the right track or that's gonna push them to do something so that's great we at the true family foundation we believe in experience and um exposure and that can put you on the right track now Circling back a little bit towards the tail end of your career, you had the opportunity as a, as a seasoned veteran to mentor what we know now as the Legion of Boom, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, and Richard Sherman. What was it like kind of teaching them and watching them rise? Yeah, they say I'm like the grandfather of the Legion of Boom, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, I've heard a couple of people say that. But playing or seeing those guys from young rookies to what they became is like nuts, man. But you could see it there. Um, Sherm um, especially was a guy that wasn't drafted very high and yeah. didn't get a lot of love in the beginning, but he always talked and had this confidence as if he, he was the best guy on the field, and that stayed with him through his playing career. So he never lost his spirit. He was never discouraged. And then you take a guy like Cam Chancellor was just a – early on was a special teams player, right? So just think about the hits that he was putting on people – but he's going down and doing this on special teams. And back in the day, they kind of let you go on special teams. You can yeah. knock people out. Earl Thomas has always been, like, the fastest dude on the field, the most explosive, and he just makes it happen. But you could see this greatness and this raw talent that all these guys had, and they just put it together, and they got better and better. And these guys are really football guys. They studied the game inside and out, and they're that's why they were very popular they get their own phrase the legion of boom because that's really what they are man they they just put it all together made it work now marcus at the end of your career you played for Pete carroll the current seahawks coach uh how did you enjoy playing for him and what kind of coach is he Pete carroll is um 
a great coach, a different coach. I started out with Mike Holmgren, right? Yep. More of your father figure-ish type of coach, more traditional coach, great coach that loved his players to death, but it was more like fatherly. Pete Carroll has some of that, but he's the surfer kid from California type of feel, plays all the cool music yeah. at practice, the dance around and the throw the ball around with you at practice and just really have fun. So it was two different type of energies. Um, Great coaches, great love for the players, but Pete was really something different, a breath of uh, fresh air, I would say. But some of the old guys when he first came in didn't really know if it was real, if it was rah-rah, but um, I think he's proven that he got the uh, sauce. Now, when, when, when you have those two coaches and, and learning from, from those two coaches, how do you, I guess, translate what you've learned from them into in being the leader that you are today? Um, I think that... It comes down to just being yourself, right? And you can approach things in different ways and get the same outcome. They both had uh, great success. Um, of course, under Mike Holmgren, great coach, and has done a lot of great things. He was recently just inducted into the Ring of Honor uh, um, over at the Seahawks Stadium. And then uh, Pete, everything that he's done. So it shows that you can be cool and you can relate to the younger a generation. Then at the same time, you can stick to your um, traditional values and things that you really care for, and you can grow like that. So you don't have to be in a box, I guess is what I'm saying. Now, sticking with your career, you were part of some pretty big games, and one of them that I remember is the Beastquake game with the New Orleans. And you guys <laughs> in the playoffs, can you just talk about that team, 7-9 and nine, making the playoffs, and then maybe that play, you know, what, what that game was like, just being the Saints? Yeah, man, that was a um, heck of a game. Being in the game, it's like you, you don't really get the um, the, the – pleasure of kind of what you see on all the highlights when you see it yeah. right in the slow motion and Marshawn throwing Porter to the ground and then he trips a couple of times he gathers himself and he makes it happen but it was one of those things that kind of gave you goosebumps and it happened so fast on the field right of course on TV you have the um, pleasure of being able to see it in slow motion and then you got the the that you got the music in the background and all this stuff but that game uh, that play, I think, took the Seahawks franchise to another level just from a popularity standpoint of everything that was going on. And Marshawn and everything that he brings with himself is just a part of that, uh, a larger-than-life personality um, for a larger-than-life play. Yep. And you were also part of the Super Bowl back when you played the Steelers early in your career. And as you are now on Radio Row and, and going through this, um, can you just talk about what the experience is from a player's perspective in the game with all that surrounding it? Right, yeah. So, yeah, way back in time, right? Yeah, <laughs> that was um, a long time ago. But that was the first time that the Seahawks franchise had been to the Super Bowl. So with that, the city was on fire, man. I know it wasn't the same as, like, after the Seahawks – Won their first Super Bowl, you had about a million people that were in downtown Seattle, but the energy and the buzz going into that game was um, totally amazing. At the time, the field, um, I believe it was Quest Field, yeah. um, and we beat the Panthers to move forward to go on um, to that Super Bowl. So just the energy there, man. We stayed after for a long time, and you high-five the crowd. You do all that kind of stuff, man. The city was definitely on fire. It was unreal, and I was a young player, and personally, I was like, okay, it's going to be like this every year, baby. We being back um, every year, we're going to come back, and then you got injuries, you get hurt, and then, you know, the seasons toss. don't go. So, yeah, the coin toss. 
We're gonna get the ball. We're gonna All score. that kind of stuff. Get off my guy Hasselback. Don't do Hasselback <laughs> like that. <laughs> Love but, Matt. But yeah, man. Um, totally great feeling. And um, yeah. So I know the guys are really enjoying now. And then with the social media and all that kind of stuff that comes with the game now, it's a little bit different. But I know that um, same buzz and the same butterflies are still there. And quickly, I want to talk about your brothers. I, I have two brothers myself. And can you just talk about your relationship with them and watching them play? Is the, you know, the competition there? Is that, is that there? Yes, the competition was there. But I was um, – you know I'm big brother, right? Right, yeah. So, so I'm the oldest. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I got my middle brother. Um, and did it the hard way. Went to the Arena League, played in the XFL. Then he finally gets picked up by the Jets. And then my youngest brother, Dez, is still playing right now. Um, but I was always kind of like the proud dad, right? Okay, man, I see my younger brothers. We're all doing it. This is great. Of course, the competition was there. If we're doing anything else, if we're playing tag, we're playing volleyball, we're um, racing in the backyard or we're wrestling, we're playing tetherball. It doesn't matter. There was always competition there, and that's how we've grown, and that's how we do it. But we kind of have these candid conversations about what it was like on the field, and we just live in that, and we could all relate to it. So it's good, man. It's not a lot of competition like that, but it's friendly. Now, Marcus, in addition to the Trufant Family Foundation, uh, you've also kind of dipped into the media side of things a little bit. You're the host of the Truly Untruly podcast and the Barbershop Shop. Uh, talk about that a little bit and kind of what you're doing with, with those two shows. Yes, um, I started a – started a media company, the, um, a True Font Media Company, so that's me, of course, but um, <laughs> I have these podcasts. I have a podcast with my wife, the uh, Truly Unruly Podcast, and we talk about everything under the sun. Um, we've been married for 14 years, talk about relationships, uh, ups and downs of being, you know, a wife of a athlete, and then the transition from um, to being home. We got four kids and recently a dog, so we um, are kind of going crazy, right, trying to keep up with the kids. And then um, the barbershop show is about sports. It's really about guys that come into the barbershop and you sit down. You don't really get your hair cut, but you hang out. You talk about sports. You talk about everything under the sun. So um, the Trufant Media Company is me trying to get back out there, right? As a player, I w just wasn't a big talker on the field. I was about my business. I would lock in. I was kind of like um, assassin-like, right? So, um, but now I see the opportunity. I want to get out. I want to do stuff. So I'm out doing um, speaking engagements. Um, I want to be brand ambassador. So that's the Trufant Media Company in the whole. Now, and I kind of want to circle back a bit before we let you go. With this current Seattle Seahawks team kind of on the ropes as far as the competitiveness of this NFC West, where do you see this team going to get back to the top of the division? Well, um, I'll just say, and I'll go on record and say this. I know there's a lot of talk about Mr. Wilson, right? I Everybody likes to or trying to make it seem like it's a good idea to move on from Russ. I'm not a fan of that. Nope. I, I think that you can build on Russ, and he's numbers-wise and everything else. Russ is like the guy. So keep him, build around it bring in some pieces, and you continue to grow, and you always want to build up your defense. You want to make it happen. I know they've been trying to repeat and uh, kind of recreate at that Legion of Boom. Um, it starts up front because, you know, I, I know the Legion of Boom was there, but you got to talk about the boys um, up front up there that was really up there making it happen, talking about Cliff Averill, Bennett. talking about Michael Bennett, yeah, guys like that. So, um I think they'll be okay, man. It's going to be interesting, but definitely start with Russ. Yeah, and Marcus, our last question for all our guests. You know, we know you're a busy guy. We need a prediction, though. Bengals or Rams, who you got? I um, <laughs> Tough game. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be a very good game. I like the youth. 
of the Bengals and um, everything that comes with that, that these guys are playing out of their mind. Um, Joe Barrow is great as doing things, but I got to go with the, the, the seasoned vets of the Rams, star power, Odell Beckham, Cooper Cup, uh, Matt Stafford, uh, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller. That, that's too many names, so I got to ride with the Rams. They mortgaged their future so they could be in this game, and it, it's paid off to up to yes, this sir. point. So, Marcus, we loved having you on. We really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, hopefully we can re reconnect in the future. Appreciate it, man. Awesome. Well, folks, that was Marcus Trufant. Uh, we really enjoy sitting down to talk with him about his career, his podcast, uh, and, and his foundation, of course. So um, it was awesome talking to him, and hopefully we can talk to him again in the future. But, hey, unfortunately, we are out of time here on the director's cut. Uh, this is our last show from L.A., unfortunately. We are headed back in the morning, uh, so we really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in all week. Uh, Tyler and I are... are you know, we're super grateful for, for this opportunity to be out here and, and broadcast these five shows all week. Um, so, basically, we'll be back next week. We actually might have a Sunday plan. Uh, otherwise, we'll be back sometime next week. The director's cut will not be as scheduled. We'll be on a different time. We'll be on a basketball game. We'll be back at some point next week. So stay tuned to our social media. Uh, WSTU with Buzz. Uh, at just at just the news. But, thank you all for tuning in. Have uh, the night of the buzz on the top site in April. Stay tuned for that. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week. Back in April. Let me welcome everybody to the wild, wild west. A state that's untouchable like Elliot Ness. The track hits your eardrum like a slug to your chest. Like a vest for your Jimmy in the city of sex. We in that sunshine state where the bomb have 10 B. The state where you never find a dance floor empty and pimp speed. On a mission for them greens. Lean, mean, money making machines, serving fiends. I've been in the game for 10 years making rap tunes. Ever since honeys was wearing Sassoon. Now it's 95 and they clock me and watch me diamond shining. Looking like a Rob Liberace. It's all good. Pain. Throw up a finger if you feel the same way Straight putting it down for California